0: Welcome everyone to the seventh episode of season four of the Northern Spin Podcast, brought to you in association with FI Real Estate Management. My name is Michael Taylor. By day I'm the editor of Business Desk. I'm a journalist and a politico. And if you think you've had a tough week, what about Chris? More woe for the Tories. Chris, how how are you coping?
1: It's been a tough week, actually, because obviously me and you got uh, snubbed in the King's birthday honors list. I also play cricket on uh, on Saturday, ran myself out for a duck, but um, yeah, it's a warm welcome to, uh, to you and all our listeners as well. I'm the executive editor of Business Cloud and Tech Blast. We're recording this on Monday. It's um, Boris Pinocchio Johnson's 59th birthday today, which means he's probably 96. We've decided, we've had a decision, we're not going to give him any more publicity than he deserves, and uh, we've also had some nice feedback from last week. Jordan okay. go on, read yeah. what you got what we got some Jordan Acker Half Biscuit Man which I think is a great handle for a Twitter account says really do you great know, episode do you know this week he calls himself that well do you know him yeah why did he call himself Half Biscuit well, Man I know him because he came up to me on
0: Oxford Road Station and went are you Michael Taylor from the Northern Spin Podcast because he's a fan of the band Half Man Half Biscuit of um, course you right. haven't heard of them have never you? heard of no.
1: him. no never heard of him. but also we've also got a new follower on Twitter as well Stockport <laughs> Councillor what did Jordan well, say well Jordan said really great episode this week fellas really enjoyed Chris's contribution <laughs> um, I may have made that last bit up um, got a new listener or got a new follower on Twitter Matt Wynn Stockport Councillor we've spoken about him on this pod before um, but I've got an apology to make to you and to our dear listeners as well because every week I ask you whether or not Stockport's Labour MP Devendra Mishra is still blocking you on Twitter, the world needs to know. Let's have a look. Still blocking me, okay? I've got an update because yeah. thankfully he's not blocked me as well. All and right. he was recently at the Oval watching the India versus Australia test match as well. So uh, that's what you've missed. Well, I can't see his tweets on cricket or hanging out with fellow left wing Labour MPs,
0: okay? Yeah, good. Anyway, we've got a packed show for you this week and a departure from previous podcasts. We're going to do a bit of role playing later on. I don't know what as we've well, got in mind for that. The mind boggles. Okay, I want you to pretend, Chris, that you're in Conservative central office and your job is to advise Rishi Sunak on how he can win the next general election. And you know what? For even further devilment, I'll have a go at doing that as well. For my part, I will put myself in the heart of Labour Party HQ and discuss what Starmer might need to do to achieve power. But before all that, time for a quick thank you. We couldn't do this podcast without What Media, who expertly produce our podcast every week. We're here in the studio with Charlie and Ellis. They're the kings. Of video content creation, and they turn our weekly ramblings into the Hit Weekly Podcast and YouTube show that is Northern Spin. They also make us feel part of the team. And on that note, we're going to go to our first interval.
1: FI Real Estate Management is not just your traditional property company founded in 1982 and managing assets totaling more than 1 billion. FI Real Estate Management pride themselves on going on the journey with their tenants. FI Real Estate Management, the property company with personality just like us, Michael. Indeed, Chris. So we've got some exciting plans for season four of the Northern
0: Spin Podcast. If you wanna join FI Real Estate Management to sponsor the show and reach a growing audience, then please get in touch with Chris or I, or our friends at What Media. So our downloads are up 29% in the last 30 days. So if you want to grow your audience, if you want to reach more people, get in touch and be a sponsor of this podcast. So Chris, over the weekend, another Tory MP, this time David Warburton, who represents Somerton and Froome in Somerset, has resigned. Now, just to recap, he'd had the wit withdrawn after... He'd been accused of taking drugs and making unwanted advances towards two women whilst under the influence. It follows the resignation of Johnson, Nigel Adams in Selby in North Yorkshire, and Nadine Dorries, who told the world that she was going to resign only to hold fire. And then she claims that she didn't get her damehood, her accession to the House of Lords because she's a working class girl from Liverpool. So what it means is that Sunak is going to face four by-elections now. I think Doris is deliberately delaying hers to inflict further pain when she loses Mid Bedfordshire. And obviously, both political both opposition parties are vying to be in pole position to take the Tories on. Personally, I think Labour have got a fighting chance in three of them, and uh, should leave the field open in the West Country. In uh, Somerset
1: and Somerton and Frome in Somerset to the Lib Dems. What do you think? Yeah, I was thinking about this. If you said to each of the parties right now, you said, "How many would you accept of those four elections? How many would you accept if you were to win now?" And uh, I think the Tories would bite your hand off for two. I think Labour, if they win three, I think as to the feeling of momentum within the, the Labour Party, I think the Lib Dems have got a very good chance in Somerset as well. I agree with you about Nadine Doris. Um, I, I look at that. I've called in Nadine Johnson actually in my notes. Actually, maybe maybe there's something truth in that. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that wasn't just an error on my part. I think for her to come out and say, I'm resigning, and then to say, I'm not resigning, and then to say that I'm being there's something going on between a couple of toffee-nosed people to prevent me joining the House of Lords at a time when we've got a cost-of-living crisis, that's the reason I wouldn't give her any airtime. She's a waste of space, as far as I'm concerned. But what about that video at the weekend? Oh, unbelievable. So over the weekend, the Mirror published a video of Conservative Party
0: workers drinking and dancing at a Christmas party during the COVID pandemic in December, 2020, that was when we were under a complete, complete and total lockdown. It wasn't like the vague kind of don't, we'd really rather you didn't at different points of lockdown. And and that was, it was the the team who were campaigning at the time for Sean Bailey, who was uh, the Tory candidate to be the mayor of London to go up against Sadiq Khan. Obviously he did it, he was unsuccessful. And I just think it, it just smacked of arrogance. We do what we want. There's one set of rules for us. I think the optics of it are absolutely awful. And the worst thing about it, of course, is that campaign team, Sean Bailey, he, is, he isn't in the video, but he's in some of the photographs of the people. So he was clearly there. He's been given a peerage in the um, in the honours list last week. He's. Um, I don't think he'd be running for London Mayor again. Obviously he won't if he's been a peer. Um, Yeah, absolutely terrible. I think it just shows the
1: Tories for what they are. Arrogant, out of touch, and they think they're better than everyone else. The thing is with the Tories, the Tories want the whole COVID party gate situation to go away, but they just need to like hold their hands up and sort of say this is completely unacceptable. But there were some some comments over the weekend which was actually this was from three years ago and the pictures have already been published and the Scotland Yard have investigated and found no case to answer. Incidentally, it puts a lot of pressure on Scotland Yard this video because there's a great quote which I read which if a picture paints a thousand words, then then a video paints a million. And um, it's absolutely dreadful. It looks terrible on social media. As you say, the optics aren't great.
0: Well, the thing is, though, yeah, the Metropolitan Police haven't prosecuted, um, and they should have done. And let's not forget as well, Rishi Sunak received a fine for what he was up to during lockdown. And it was interesting, I saw a video over the weekend of, uh, from the Labour Party with quote after quote after quote, mainly of Rishi Sunak on the campaign trail, whipping up the Tory members who actually didn't vote for him. They voted for this trust, which shows their intelligence. Um, but he's defending Boris Johnson. You know, how proud he was to have served a great leader. How he's not going to rewrite history and trash the reputation of you know the man who delivered the eighty seat majority in twenty nineteen. That looks terrible, right? And I think it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to create a lot of problems
1: for him. I think politicians are allowed to change their mind. And, you know, I've not had a go at Starmer over his support of Jeremy Corbyn at the beginning. Sometimes politicians, it's all about being in the room when you need to make a decision. So sometimes you do say things that you might not actually believe. I don't think Rishi Sunak's ever really liked Boris Johnson, but now's the time for him to uh, stand up and show a bit of backbone.
0: Okay, so let's have a look then at, um, at what they've been, uh, what the Tories have been up to. Johnson cheerleader Brendan Clark Smith was completely dismantled by Victoria Derbyshire on Newsnight. Let's let's talk about that. Let's also have a look at the support of the right wing press. I think we've got some potentially some good insights to offer here, particularly as you used to work at the Daily Mail. I yeah. do love reminding people yeah, of that. Um, yeah i think i think we can both summarize can't we chris that boris johnson's a busted flush everyone knows it but the tories unfortunately have got a little troublesome rump of people who will continue to defend him
1: okay so picture the scene I've been parachuted into the Conservative Central Office I'm sitting down with Rishi Sunak I'm saying Rishi I said I love your cashmere jumper but I'm going to say like you've got some crazies in the party you've got your Jacob Rees-Mogg's you've got your people on outside the party like Boris Johnson Nadine Doris Pretty Patel etc cetera, etc cetera. you know I wouldn't worry that much about them they're not your biggest problem okay so let's come up with a strategy and I'll probably get a I'll probably get a uh, a whiteboard and I would say well let's look at your five pledges okay get inflation down currently at 8.7% you know it got a long way to go it's inflation figures this week grow the economy currently at 0.2% I don't think any of us feel any better just on that
0: um, at Prime Minister's questions last week Sunat is making a virtue of the fact that wages are going up and yet it's the stated government economic policy to suppress wages. And you've done it on this podcast before saying people can't afford wage rises, particularly if they're teachers or uh, train drivers or nurses. Um, they don't deserve a pay rise and they've just got to grin and bear it despite the fact their mortgages are going up. So, you know, what's it to be? What's it to be, sooner? Is yeah, that my it, thought yeah
1: it's it's the growth is anemic but there was a statistic that i read we'll talk about how, we're going to talk about home ownership and interest rates later and obviously people talk about the 70s and the 80s when uh, interest rates were like 15 16% the problem is salaries haven't gone up, wages haven't gone up because the productivity's not there because the growth's not there as well so his stated ambition is to grow the economy um as i say 0.2% he's nothing to write home about nhs waiting lists 7.4 million people in england on waiting lists so it doesn't feel like we're winning that one the um you know stop the boats he has made a little bit of progress on that by uh, by by tackling the problem with albanians um they're talking about 20% fall but i don't think i don't think it's uh i don't think it's winning over the votership and this idea of putting people in giant barges off the coast of Britain, the optics of that don't look good as well. The national debt, his stated ambition is that it's going to be falling, but the International Monetary Fund says it's going to rise for the next five years. If you were a head teacher or you were a teacher, and I gave you that as my report for the week, What would you give me as a grade? D minus. It's an absolutely appalling record. And as for the small
0: boat stuff, the reason that that situation came to bear was because of the lack of cooperation with the French authorities as a direct result of the Brexit that he voted for, campaigned for. It's, again, it's the elephant in the room. Once again, a lot of the problems that this country faces economically, public services, cooperation with other countries is a direct result of the fact
1: that Brexit isn't working. Would you have lots of red lines in my work? right yeah, no you problem. see me afterwards that was one <laughs> always you to scare me um, yeah. Yeah, point, me too yeah. the point with Sunek though is i'd say that okay you're stating everything you're putting all your chips on these five pledges but i would say they're not your biggest problem. I think your biggest problems run deeper than that, and I think you need some. Um, I think you need to tackle these. So interest rates. Interest rates are currently at four point five percent. We've got two young members of the production team. We asked them earlier a small sample size about their experiences with uh, with mortgages and getting on the housing market as well. And their their stories to us are typical of other people's. You know, if you've got a mortgage and you need to remortgage in two thousand and twenty four, the odds are interest rates going to hit six percent. So you're going to be paying. Um, an extra £2,900. It's Father's Day yesterday. We are recording this on Monday. You've got five kids. How many of those are on the property market? One. One, okay. One in a shared, shared ownership. Yeah, and you know, I've got two two daughters, one's nearly 23, one's mm-hmm. 20. You know, they're both renting as well. This affects young people, it affects everyone, but it affects young voters as well. And people who are renting are only going to have to pay more in rent because a lot of the buy-to-let landlords are going to pass those increases on. Yeah, housing. That's absolutely definite. That, yeah, I know you're going to mention
0: housing now. That's interesting. I heard Keir Starmer interviewed on the Today programme this morning. Michelle H- Hussein was interviewing him. He was up in Scotland talking about green energy issues. But he made the point that the biggest issue in the in the housing market is it's not house prices, it's lack of supply and it might be a net effect that house prices do come down because it's usually by demand and the amount of available capital. Now, if the amount of available and affordable capital for people to be able to draw down that money in order to purchase a house, that's usually the biggest thing that uh, that, that drives house price inflation, that and the lack of supply. And there just aren't enough houses and homes being built. We know, We see lots of cranes on the skyline in a city like Greater Manchester. In London, there's lots of houses and homes built. Um, but a lot of them are underoccupied because they're done as an investment. People will invest from overseas. I, I write stories all the week, every, all week, every week on our on our website about yet another um, property company that is building residential property for the overseas market, particularly for China here in Manchester, and what they call in Manchester purpose-built student accommodation. You Which mentioned, presumably is a nice segue into your anecdote about where you were yesterday. Yeah, but, but, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Michelle Hussain, incidentally, the BBC journalist. I think she's one of the most underrated journalists going. She, well, why she, underrated? I, I just rate her. No, I just don't. Well, I think she's one of these people. She just does a really good job. Yeah. Um, maybe underrated isn't the right word. She just goes under the radar. Yeah, absolutely. On Father's Day, I had to help my youngest daughter move out of her flat. I can tell you that was great. And uh, to honestly, the stuff she's hoarded, we found stuff missing out of our house in our drawers hmm. that we've lost. It's uh, so we reunited with a lot of that stuff. I think the problem with housing is the Conservative Party isn't geared up towards building houses because the blue wall seats where you've got sitting Conservative MPs. They don't want houses in their backyard. So as a consequence, um, you've got this massive undersupply. This is a big problem. This is the reason why I would say to Rishi, Rishi, you need to rebuild the Conservative Party, not for this general election, but for the next general election, if he is still in position, if he's still the leader of the party, which is unlikely.
0: All political parties need to have an inspirational and credible offer. Yeah. Right, Boris Johnson had one in 2019, which is why he got an 80 seat majority. Which was, I'm not the other guy, but also all the rhetoric about infrastructure and leveling up, and you know, making seaside towns places of opportunity, coastal towns, should I say, places of opportunities. All those places in the northeast that went from red to blue, and yet there was nothing behind it. No, yeah, it, was it's all- ju- it was just rhetoric. Um, and I think what Labour and the Conservatives, neither of which at the moment have, have got a. P- an offer that is particularly inspired because I think people are mired in cynicism. They don't, they just see all these broken promises
1: over the years that haven't been fulfilled and they think that nothing's really working anymore. But that's the point. So, you know, interest rates are huge. Housing, huge. Social care. You know, I've I've seen with my own eyes some of the challenges that the NHS are facing at the moment. But the NHS problems are linked to social care, which has been a Cinderella service, you know, the health sector for ages. Last week, Health and Social Care Secretary Steve Barclay, he gave a speech at the NHS Confed Expo in Manchester. Um, He spoke of a focus and he's thinking longer term. He said the focus needs to be on the use of technology, the greater use of community diagnostic centres. So you can diagnose conditions earlier, i.e. prevention yeah. is better than cure or yeah. nipping this problem in the bud before before it becomes incurable. Um, but there needs to be serious investment in social care um, because, and like I said, I've seen it with myself, patients are blocking up hospital beds unnecessarily. So, okay, back to you being a teacher, you've got your red pen out. I say to you, okay, uh, Mr. Taylor, what mark do I get as a conservative for my for my history, my record on interest rates, housing, social, care. It reminds me of a uh, a lad I was at school with who got his slip back for his A-level results
0: and it was F O F F. Yeah. And that's what I'd give you. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So so you know, the thing is, um you would give him an F. Um and, and, and I would say if I was talking to the conservatives, I was saying, right. I want you to write a hundred lines. Must do better. Well, I think there's quite a few
0: Tories who would quite like to do a hundred lines, but let's <laughs> not go there. Um, right. So let's move on a bit. You want? I, I'm sorry to keep pressing you on this, but you know, imagine you're in Conservative Central Office, coming up with a plan for how the Tories come in the next election. Let's have a think about what their what we think their strategy might be and what sort of tactics we're likely to see in the next maybe over the summer. Are they going to be cooperating with their men, their their friends in the right wing media? What do you think their strategy is going to be to potentially save the next general election? What what are we going to see
1: a lot more of? I would give them in certainly a five percent chance to win the next election as things stand at the moment. So Sunic has got to clearly got to show improvements on his five pledges. It's the inflation rate figure. If that was to drop to say, you know, below eight, that would show signs are moving in the right direction. He's got to tackle the issue of um, food inflation. You called it greed inflation. We're going to talk about that later as well. He's got to be doing something as regards to housing and social care, but I think they're longer term problems. I think what I would say to him, I'd say, Rishi, son, Rishi, block out all the white noise. Block out the, the detractors like Nadine Doris, Boris Johnson, Pretty Patel. They're yesterday's politicians, as far as I'm concerned. You are in charge of this party. This is a one-shot, only chance that you've got. You've got to be willing to speak out. You've got to get rid of this straitjacket of being a cautious leader. You need to exert some backbone in your party. You need to show some authority. And I think most of the public will actually back you on this as well. People have got to look at you and say, you're a leader. I want to lead in this country. Now, fairly soon, Liz Trust is going to publish her resignation honors list for her disastrous, embarrassing seven-week tenure. As Prime Minister of this country, Rishi Sunak cannot afford another sideshow like he had with Pinocchio Johnson. A couple of stories have caught my eye last week. The Yorkshire Post had a front page story saying that key marginals could receive a share of £200 million for projects. Right, okay, drop in the ocean, I know. Okay, but it's a positive news story. A few days earlier, Michael Gove announced plans for a new publicity funded pan regional partnership to help grow the economy in the north of England, similar to bodies in the Midlands and the Oxford. Cambridge corridor as well. Oh, sorry, now,
0: what's the, what's the Northern Powerhouse partnership? Yeah, yeah and, what, and
1: all of these things, it is, it's
0: just window dressing. It's rhetoric. It's it's gimmicks. It's all the same sort of stuff that we've talked about on this podcast before. When they announce these little pockets of money for, I mean, slabs of paving stones and railings in in towns that are desperately in need of jobs
1: and investment and and repurposing. That's the point. Absolutely that's, shocking. That's why I agree with you. The point about this new uh, pan-regional partnership is somebody say, "Well, what what are the elected mayors doing?" You know, you're not going to get that through. That's you're not going to. That's not going to make any difference before the next election. So I'm saying, Rishi, you need to get rid of this window dressing because that's what it is. If you were a business, and um, you need to look upon this as a business plan, okay, you've got to hit your KPIs. So imagine the mood music. Imagine the the way the nation would feel if if Rishi Sunak could address the nation in six to nine months time and say, hey, everyone, inflation is at 4%. Not great. We want to get it back to our targeted aim of 2%. Growth is up. We know we're growing at 1%. Interest rates are coming down. So all you people with mortgages and remortgages. Don't worry. There's help coming down the tracks. Hospital waiting lists are falling. And I'm not just talking about 18 months to two-year hospital waiting lists. I'm talking 12 months and, and less. The problem is this. Right? There is no positive news. The only thing that I think the Tories have got in their favour right now is that Keir Starmer hasn't won over the majority of the British public. It's Labour's to lose. You know, it's been another tough week for the Tories. In the unlikely event that the Tories do come to you and say, Michael Taylor. We listen to the Northern Spring podcast. We know that you stood for the for the Labour Party unsuccessfully in two thousand and fifteen at the general election. But we trust you because you you are about place over politics. Please, Michael, what can you do for the Conservatives to help us win the next general election? It would be hard for you to do, Michael, but put I, yourself I'd, there. I'd like
0: them to do what you do actually, and and opt to walk. When they're on a sticky wicket, <laughs> that would be the best thing. So actually, th- or throwing the towel, to quote a boxing reference, I think there's probably. But seriously, you've set me up that challenge. There are two things for for Sunak in particular. Number one would be to appear statesmanlike and concentrate on what is going well. I think that's tough because not much is going well. There is a sense that everything is, is sort of falling apart and not working. Um, some, more, some much better media management to paint Boris Johnson as the past and all his, uh, all his acolytes as, uh, as relics. That's going to be difficult because he's now got a berth in the Daily Mail and and present himself as serious, competent, and the man with a plan. Now, I think he's trying to do all of these those things, but not very successfully. The other thing is attacking Labour relentlessly as the party who elected Jeremy Corbyn as their leader, who say one thing and would do another, and they'd also reverse Brexit. Now, I know that's pretty much what the right wing of the Tory party do all the time. I've heard it at Prime Minister's questions. I don't like it. It really winds me up when he says it. But I, th- I think it's probably the only drumbeat and the only hope that they've got left. Do you think there's any way that
1: Conservatives could win the next general election if it was 14 months from now?
0: No, I don't. But there's a number of different scenarios that aren't Labour having a 50 seat majority. Um, I think one of the difficulties is the Tories have got no friends left. There are two political parties that in the past have gone into coalition with the conservatives with disastrous consequences, the democratic unionist party in 2017 and the liberal Democrats in 2010, both of which resulted in, you know, electoral Armageddon for both of them afterwards. It it didn't work out. And, I don't. I, I can't. There's no one else who's going to prop up a minority Conservative government, but there are a whole coalition of forces ready to uh, to get together should the Conservatives uh, not have an overall majority. Um, but on on the subject of the Labour Party, I think that they're doing all the right things, but they are being honest with the with the public, which is they're not going to promise milk and honey tomorrow or. You know, the great sunlit uplands or a land fit for heroes. They're just not in a position to be able to
1: do that. You're With not In economic circumstances. You're not a gambler, are you? No, you're not, not a gambler. So. Okay, no. but just say hypothetically, because I've just said you've just dropped into the Conservative central office. And I said to you, what would you take right now at the next general election? Would it be any type of Labour win? Or would you say that Labour have got to be ambitious enough to say, we want a decent sized majority?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think Labour are being ambitious. My insight there is. You know, at every turn, they're absolutely relentlessly focused on winning. I spoke last week uh, at the risk of repeating myself. When I saw Rachel Reeves speaking at the Kite Festival, she absolutely had her game face on. Yeah. She is 100% relentlessly focused on winning. And I get that sense from Starmer all the time. And, you know, you see an example as well this week Alison McGovern has been elected you know, in Birkenhead, you know, that is a hotbed of left-wing activism. It's in in Merseyside, it's top end of the Wirral. You know, it's, they've had Mitt Whitley has been the MP there um, for the last few years, replacing Frank Field. And, and amazingly, Alison McGovern has been elected, you know, even though she's w- widely associated as being part of the Um, The Labour right wing, which is a phrase I absolutely hate, by the way. The Labour Party doesn't have right wing people. It has people who are more to the centre and Alison definitely would would, um, meet that criteria. It's another huge blow for the left of the Labour Party. They used to refer to the left of the Labour Party as putting them in a sealed tomb. I think they're going a lot further than that. I think they're they're putting absolute
1: concrete around that sealed tomb now trying to get rid of them. You know what I—the analogy I would use was—and um, you're right. I think um, I mean Mick Wakeley was elected in 2019, and it was—it it was. Although it wasn't Keir Starmer and it wasn't the Labour the party who were who were responsible for her winning that because it was a selection vote for the members in Birkenhead. She won by quite a. Quite a, quite a healthy number. Um, the analogy I always use is that this is... because she's good, actually. Well, you you spoke very highly of her as well. Yeah. You spoke so highly of her, you didn't want to say, I want her to win because that's normally <laughs> the kiss of death on all your uh, it is actually, chosen yeah. ones. Yeah. No, but I think this is a game of chess. And I think, okay, on one side you've got the Conservatives, on the other side you've got you've got Labour. And I don't think Labour are going for a quick kill. I think Labour are going to get all their, you know, um, you know pawns... Um, you know, up the table, so that they can they can attack the Conservative Party and Rishi Sunak for every different angle. So what they're doing, they're making sure they've got the right pieces on the board in the first place. Alison McGovern is the right person. Um well, reason- let me try and articulate it then. What I th- what what I think they should be saying
0: relentlessly at every turn, and it's this: We recognise the problems the Tories have made worse, but we are driven by values and by integrity, and we want to make things better. But we won't be doing that by divvying up contracts to our mates we're serious about the big challenges that society faces we are on your side and we will invest wisely not cynically
1: you yeah know,
0: yeah that's not a bad message to keep banging out because it's being realistic and it's being honest and it's saying trust us we're decent people yeah and I'm, they're not going to find the same amounts of skeletons in cupboards and when they do they're going to you know, react to it quite relentlessly. They're going to own
1: it. They're going to own it. So well, I, I, I run a little PR company as well. And I always say to people, I always say, um, own it, you know, and and uh, just be honest, do the right thing. Um, I suppose- So if, talk, let's talk about these by-elections coming up then. So we've got
0: um, Uxbridge and South Reislet, Selby and ainsty Somerton and Frome, which we've spoken about, which, which is a Lib, I think is going to be a Lib Dem target, and Mid-Bedfordshire. I, I don't know what your Twitter's like, but mine had Labour activists out in all of those constituencies. They think they've clearly
1: got a good chance of winning. I think you'll find a lot of Conservative um, MPs out today, uh, Monday, so that they don't have to be in the House of Commons for the uh, the vote on yeah. uh, you know, um, Boris uh, Pinocchio-Johnson. Cool.
0: And it, that, that, all right. That's, um, we've, we've sort of done the
1: by-elections a bit, haven't we? Well, I want to mention one thing, though, no, because on. I think it is worthy of note, is that Labour's candidate for Selby and Anstey is Keir Mather uh, Jr. He's only 25 or 26. He'll be the youngest candidate in the House of Commons if he wins. And what I think is interesting, in the same seat, the Tories thought they had a candidate, Michael Norton. He's withdrawn over the weekend because of uh, unforeseen family medical emergency. Now, we don't know what that is, but I think what it goes to show is that, like this game of chess that I alluded to earlier, that the Labour Party have got all their pieces in the right places so that when the election pin is called, they're in position to attack
0: Indeed. Indeed. Right. Before we go to the break, Chris, I can't let you get away with not being able to comment on the media coverage of Boris Pinocchio Johnson leaving office. Now you used to work in the Daily Mail newsroom. Yeah. So given what you said last week, you must be absolutely furious that they've signed up Johnson as a columnist for a a reported one million pounds and the way in which they did it as well is um, clearly cocking a snoop once again to all the established rules that he doesn't think apply to him um, because he took the job really quickly and didn't um, let the Government Committee on
1: Business Appointments know. Yeah. Give us, give us some insight. So, so one year after you leave office, if you're a Government Minister, you've got to inform the Advisory Committee of Business Appointments. Uh, he apparently gave him 30 minutes notice. So once again, another example of Pinocchio Johnson cocking a snooker authority. Now... I think the bigger issue here isn't about Pinocchio Johnson. It's about the media. Every paper it's a little bit of insight. Every paper has got a particular bias. The Daily Mirror is obviously Labour supporting. Um, if you look at what, um, if you look at what uh, Tony Blair did, uh, Alastair Campbell, before the nineteen ninety seven election, they flew to Australia and uh, you know coded on up to Rupert Murdoch. They recognise the value of the press. The press isn't as important as influential as it was back then. Um, so it's no surprise to me to see um, Pinocchio Johnson signing and taking the coin of uh, Paul Dacre and the Daily Mail. Um, I want to I want to show you a couple of examples of how partisan, not just politics but how partisan the media is. So last week we saw the Partygate report. It was as damning as it could get into Johnson's activity. He was given, he would have been given a 90 day suspension, which is massive. It was huge. This is a Daily Mail front page headline. The most spiteful stitch up in history of politics. I'm thinking it's a bit like going to a football match and thinking have I been to the same football match as the guy who's just written this report? The Daily Mail Mail columnist Richard uh, Littlejohn said this wasn't a kangaroo court; it was a lynch mob. So they are writing for the Middle England GB news, um, you know, viewers. That's what they do. Um, let's not forget, you know, Johnson repeatedly nominated um, the Daily Mail group's editor in chief, Paul Dacre, for a peerage. He's desperate to get into the House of Lords. At every turn, he gets overruled. The Mail will use Johnson's profile to push their agenda, which is being pro. Uh, pro-Brexit, um, anti-immigration. So people like you and me, i describe us as being either worldly wise or cynical, probably a mixture of the two. I think we can see through cronyism, we can call it out as we see it. The readers of the Daily Mail and the Daily Express or the viewers of GB Group, they are not as discerning as we are. And the danger doesn't come from Boris Pinocchio-Johnson. It comes from the, the mainstream media peddling these lies. Well, is it mainstream? I mean, it, it seems to be drifting towards the fringe
0: ever more i mean i just absolutely abhor the daily mail and the the values of sort of just hatred and loathing and division that it it pumps out all the time i mean little john what an absolute Mm. knob can't abide him Mm. either Mm. um on that note i think i need a glass of water and a lie down because i'm quite wound up now but yeah if you want an outcome from this election i think the tories should just throw in the towel and say, we're not fit to govern. We haven't got any ideas. Let's have a general election. Put us out of our misery.
1: And uh, on that note, will see you on the other side. <laughs> So one of the businesses I'm involved in is Proactive Progress. Proactive Progress is a monthly meeting of ambitious Northwest businesses who grow through collaboration. Every month, I hit my black book. We bring in a big-name speaker and share experiences, challenges, and opportunities. If you're interested in joining Proactive Progress, contact me. Lots of methods to do that, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. Or my business partner, Paul Woods. If you want to grow your business, do it through Proactive Progress. So welcome back to part two of Northern Spain. This is a section anything to see here, and there's a few things. Uh, there's no football on the tally at the moment, other than the uh, you know other than these nondescript uh, international games. Um, but you want to talk about uh, Wigan Athletic just being bought by a local businessman called Mike Danson. Why do you think that's so important? Um, well, I think the word locals working quite hard there. Mike Danson owned a
0: business called Data Monitor, which he sold for a big chunk of change, and then he's invested in another data business. Uh, amongst his investments is my favourite weekly politics magazine the new statesman which he does keep slightly separately from a lot of his other investments he was born in wigan but i think he grew up in another part of greater manchester up in berry but i think lisa nandi's had a little bit to do with brokering this deal and in her book which i'm reading at the moment she opens it by describing the importance of wigan athletic as a football club to the town of wigan how much it meant to people even you know even in a rugby league town like this now mike danson already owns a chunk of uh, wigan warriors rugby league club which has which is probably the biggest sporting club in Wigan, to be fair. Um, but in Lisa Andy's book, she describes in the opening section the criminals and chances who circled Wigan Athletic the last time that it was on the block, eventually being rescued by a Bahraini businessman who, I think it's quite obvious, didn't have the wherewithal to be able to fund it um, indefinitely for the amount of money that it requires to keep a club capitalised at championship level, wages weren't being paid, HMRC weren't being paid. And I think Mike Danson coming in has settled the account, at least for the time being. My worry for Wigan though, is there's no upside, right? You look at a club like that and you think, is it a sleeping giant? And no, they've they've won the FA Cup. They were in the Premier League for nine years. They've been in the championship for a fair amount of time as well. And uh, they've competed in Europe. And in all that time, they've never been able to sell out their stadium in the Premier League. And you look at clubs like Sheffield Wednesday and Derby County, who've got big supporter bases, you know, at least, you know, Sheffield Wednesday is one of two clubs in a big, big city. Derby is a single, single city club. And... You know, you can see the potential of a club like that getting into the Premier League, and it, you know, and, it's, uh, and attracting international audiences. Wigan, less so. Even Wrexham, you know, they've they've generated. You know, they could be North Wales's football club with all that support globally through Ryan Reynolds and Rob Macalini's investment and and promotion. With Wigan, I don't know. I don't I don't see it myself. I can, but at least if it stabilizes and it creates the community club that can compete, you know, and do okay at Championship level. And you know, occasionally go on cup runs, then, then maybe. But I, just, I don't see it. Yeah. What do
1: you think? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I mean, I know Diver County quite well, and obviously they've got a local businessman, David Close. He rescued the business last year. It's put the club on a financial, uh, a much more you know, sound financial footing. I think the, I think the, the the challenge is if you want to compete at the top top level like the Premier League, you almost need like money bags owners, which is the reason why so many of these clubs go. Uh, overseas, and increasingly going to uh, you know Dubai and uh, and uh, you know um, you, you know the US as well to find to find money. Um, and I think the appeal of foreign owners is starting to uh, is starting to wane. Um, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, last week you spoke about greed inflation, which I would describe as profit-led inflation. A Big problem with inflation at the moment, but there's a feeling that some corporates are jumping on the back of this and making money and just hiding behind the inflation figures yeah, as I well. Think,
0: I think it's baked into the public isn't it that things are more expensive so they've made other things even more expensive petrol being a good example but staple food products as well
1: but, but do you think do you think the politicians are afraid of the big food companies they
0: yeah they are I to mean, give, you, give you some examples as well about the power of big food I was at a talk the other week with Henry Dimbleby who's written an incredible book about the power of the global food industry and you look at recent um, legislation that's attempted to get through Parliament to regulate the food industry um a ban on two for one junk food deals have been delayed by the government for another two years it had meant shops being unable to sell food and drink high in fat salt and sugar using multi-buy deals scrapped rishi sunak said it would be unfair to restrict options when food prices remain high no um you know people who want to promote um you know health plans to get kids exercising and and all the rest of it that's been overridden by the government wanting to promote a pharmaceutical approach to, um, to weight loss, you know, to promoting diet pills rather than, you know, the hard yards of encouraging people to make healthy lifestyle choices and exercise more. Yeah. I think we've lost the battle against obesity probably 20 years ago. I was talking to the owner of, of my gym, Steve Hoyles about this. who's a listener of the podcast. Um, You know, it it shouldn't be that difficult, but unfortunately it is. I think it's the choices that we make in what we, how we exercise, but also the the food that we eat. And I think we make increasingly poor choices, but those choices are poor. I was in Asda supermarket in Bolton the other day and I saw people filling up their baskets with, I wanted to just go, don't buy that rice. It's really expensive. Uncle Ben's wrapped up, up, buy some, just buy some rice and cook it.
1: Well, if you want to see where the priorities of some of these food companies are, look at the food that they put around the tills. It's never healthy options. No. It's always a bar of chocolate. And unfortunately, you know, I am an addict. My name is Chris. My big worry is um, is vapes. Don't get me started about vapes. I walk down the street these days, yeah. and I reckon six out of ten people on vapes. A lot of them never smoked before. Well, um, the great shame of my football club, Blackman Rovers, is it's sponsored by Totally Wicked,
0: which is it's a cartoon character with a jaunty little look with a jaunty little slogan. It's kid friendly. Don't tell me that vapes are the solution to people who used to smoke cigarettes and it's saving them from lung cancer by offering them a gateway away from it. No, no, the vaping industry is 100% targeted with all its flavors and all the rest of it and its and its branding is aimed at kids. And you can see it in schools, you can see it in teenagers around, as, as you've probably seen yourself yeah. um, taking up vaping. Horrible.
1: Yeah, yeah, It's and I, I saw it, I mean, Do you know how much a packet of cigarettes is these days? No, I don't. It's about 12 or 13 quid. You know, so people clearly can't smoke because they can't afford it. But people are getting into vapes and they're they're, they're having 500 sucks a day on these vapes. Horrible. Horrible. Um, Now, it was a shock to both myself and you, Michael. I I, I tuned into the King's Birthday Honours List and I thought somewhere along the line it'll say, Michael Horatio Taylor for services to the podcast industry. But unfortunately, you've been missed again, (laughs) as have I for services to cricket. But I'm pleased to say there were some names on there that you're uh, you're happy have been recognised. Well, the first
0: one I'm really happy about is Debbie Blackburn uh, on a personal level. She's the um, Assistant Principal for Finance at Aquinas College, where I'm a governor in Stockport. She got an MBE. De- Debbie's absolutely fantastic. and um, I, I love being a governor of that college. It's absolutely fantastic. And, and she's a key part of the management team there. Also a former colleague of mine from when I worked at Manchester Met University, Kathy Parker. Um, she's the director of the Institute for Place Management. And we talk about place quite a lot on this podcast, don't we, around you know the revival of high streets, uh, the repurposing of towns. We look at what's been achieved in places like Altrincham who've really lifted themselves up and it's become a go-to model for people to go and look at. Kathy is absolutely front and center of that academic thinking and thought leadership on that. And she thoroughly, thoroughly deserves that MBE. And on a personal level as well, she was always an absolute joy to work with. She had a lot of personal hardship herself in recent years. And I hope this just puts that lovely smile back on her face. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Alison Ross, the chair of Manchester Digital, chief people officer and operations director at Manchester based online car retailer, auto trader. She got an MBE for her services to the digital sector, which was great. And Erica Rushton, if you remember, we interviewed her on our, um, when we did a special pop up podcast at the Better Business Summit in manchester in january erica was one of our guests 62 year old described as a creative economist and the founder of the kindred liverpool city region community interest Company. straight talk wasn't she Oh, she was fantastic yeah yeah and then let's not forget as well andrew stokes uh former chief executive of marketing manchester drew now, drew, drew stokes drew as they call him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. now the um now the chief executive visit england he got an obe as did chris oglesby the main thing I was surprised about is that he hadn't got a gong already. As yeah. He's so well thought
1: of, as, yeah, as was his, his, his late father who I was very, very fond of. Well, we've both interviewed his father, Michael Oglesby, as well. And the biggest compliment you can pay to his son, Chris, is that he's just carried on a good work that Brunt would have done because they give a, um, a percentage of their profits as well to uh, good causes as well, back the yeah. Arts International uh, as well. Um, now, there's somebody who was missed out, and she's a listener of the show, and you know her very well indeed. And, and I, for one, was disgusted to find that she hadn't been awarded an honour. I think she should have been awarded an honour for public service, which she did at the weekend. That's Jo Lay, well known. Local journalist. Doris. No, no, Joe Lake. Um, she was missed out. It's an outrage. You know what she did? That deserves... Go and on. I would probably go game hood for this, right? On Saturday, she went into a local news agency hid all the copies of the Daily Fail <laughs> so that people couldn't buy a copy of Boris Pinocchio Johnson's first ever column. That, Joe, is a selfless gesture from you. And although you might not have the honour to prove it, you have the Northern Spin MBE Award. Ladies and gentlemen, can you just pause for a
0: moment and reflect that there you had... Small C Conservative Chris Maguire r- praising somebody for hiling copies of "quote unquote" the Daily Fail. Yeah, that's
1: amazing. Absolutely. Um, wow. Now there was there was a serious point I'd like to make as well. We've just been talking about the King's Birthday Honours list, and you know your face is lit up after after uh, dropping to the floor in the first section when we were talking about some of the resignation honours lists that um, you know Pinocchio Johnson has palmed off to the country. Uh, half the people included in the King's Birthday Honours list were women. You've rattled off about three or four, Eleven percent were from minority ethnic backgrounds. A star obviously could go further. 13% of those people, I think, had some type of disability as well. These are genuine honors given to genuine deserving people. Completely at odds with Boris Pinocchio Johnson's dishonourable resignation honours. Right, so who do we think we've got on manoeuvres this week, Chris? I'm going to throw a name at you that a lot of people, a lot of our listeners won't be familiar with, is she's Miriam Kate. She's not a household name. She's a Conservative MP for Penistone and, and Stockbridge. She's one of the growing number of Red Wall Conservatives who are trying to raise their profile Probably because they realize that the uh, they face a, a squeaky bum time election sometime next year. She's a former biology teacher. She um, The supporters or her supporters say she's a rising star of the right. She's not afraid to speak her mind. She's spoken about rising property prices and uh, helping young people to get on the housing ladder. It's something we spoke about earlier on this pod. Lee 30P Anderson has endorsed her. She's just got herself on Twitter, and that's one of the reasons why I spotted her and one of the reasons why Lee 30P Anderson endorsed her this week. Um, but uh, yeah definitely on manoeuvres
0: yep so that's going to be a key target seat Penistone and Stocksbridge just on the outskirts of Sheffield that's one to watch I think in the general election Um, so I think she's on manoeuvres to raise her profile and fight maybe a personality led individual battle along it's interesting along the lines of people like Lee 30p Anderson absolutely
1: this is out with the northern spin so we like to follow and focus on the north but actually uh, there's three names I I want to draw to your attention because uh, the the London mayoral election is is going to be a real sort of bellwether really and the Conservatives have finally come up with their shortlist. Uh, Paul Scully who was tipped to be on it the the Conservative politician he gave a speech at an event that I hosted and uh, it was uh, a video and it was Deathly dull. Um, so he didn't make it, but three names who did Susan Hall, massive Boris Johnson supporter. Um, she's, uh, she's actually removed a picture of them two together on a Twitter feed, I'm <laughs> told. Uh, Monsimil Hossein. And uh, hope I've not mispronounced your name, uh, Mayor Zammel, and Daniel Korski, who I think you know, it. they're all hoping to go up against Labour's mayor. They're looking to pit some daylight between themselves and Sadiq Khan, especially uh, his, uh, Sadiq Khan's plans to expand the ultra low emission zones as well. And I think that's going to be a key battleground. What do you think? Um, I don't know the first two, but I do know and have
0: met Daniel Korski. I gave him a tour around Manchester a few years ago. He used to work for David Cameron and, um, he's describes himself as a, you know, centrist conservative. I think he's trying to put forward a kind of a, a jaunty pro business agenda. I think he's, he's the sort of Tory I think you'd quite like. I think, he, I, to be honest, I quite liked him. He was a very amenable company. And and I think he embodied that kind of George Osborne, David Cameroon sort of Toryism.
1: Um, but frankly, I, I don't think he'll win. I think Susan Hall will. You can't see, you couldn't see any of those winning though, could you? Because, you know, I know Against Sadiq, Sadiq Khan. Yeah. No, I meant forgetting the Tory yeah, yeah, nomination. Yeah, but could you see him beating Sadiq Khan?
0: Is yeah, his third, S- third, third Sadiq, third Sadiq Khan
1: isn't that popular.
0: I talked to my friends in London and they think he's... he's it's a bit of a wet letter, right? Okay. Well, I, heard, I heard him interviewed on the radio recently, talking about some of the issues around the, congest- the congestion charge and and low emissions and all that sort of thing. And and he's very pro-immigration, uh, as you'd expect, as the from from that background. I just think there's an outer ring of people in in outer London who, you know, just that just that there was in um, in Greater Manchester that rose up against Greater Manchester's uh, clean air zone. You know, I think. Maybe
1: there's the beginnings of a rebellion against uh, Sadiq Khan. And this is why the ultra low emissions... I don't think you'll lose them. It's going to be so important. Right, on that note, we're going to go to a, an interval before we come back for part three, which is the fun part.
0: So I've always believed that a vibrant media sits at the heart of any community. And the business community is no different. So if you're in business, then thebusinessdesk.com is for you. We're up with the lark every morning to bring you the day's business news. We have regular events, credible news, and lots and lots of other events to bring people in the business community together. So log on now, thebusinessdesk.com for all your regional news.
1: Welcome back to part three of episode seven of season four of Northern Spin. It sounds like one of those music uh, your compilation CDs that you get now, 99. Um, what have you been up to this week,
0: Michael? Well, yesterday I went up to see my dad for Father's Day, took two of my lads with me as well, and Rachel and my wife, and we had a lovely time. We went to this place on the Crookaloon, which is a lovely beauty spot where we always go. Um, but horror of horrors, Woody's um, Burger Place its grill had broken so we then relocated and we went to right outside morecambe golf club overlooking the most beautiful view in england of morecambe bay and we went to the bayview shack for a burger and i can tell you chris that if it's good enough for tyson fury it's good enough for me do you know tyson fury goes there yeah, I know he lives in Morecambe, doesn't he? He does. So apparently he was interviewed on Radio 5 Live. Now, I haven't done any impersonations on this podcast or accents for different places, but he was interviewed by Steve Bunce and um, yeah. is it Steve Costello as well? Yeah, yeah Mike Costello. Mike Costello, yeah. yeah. And he was, they said to him, are you, you know, lining up to do all these fights in Saudi Arabia and these, um, this battle with Anthony Joshua? Is it, it's all about the money, isn't it? And he said, it's not about the money. <laughs> if it was about the money, but it's not. I live in
1: Markham for God's sake. I don't need the money. I can walk out of my house and buy a burger for a pound fifty. I have to say, he could be in the room right now. But the, but <laughs> but he did price. say that,
0: and, he, and apparently the place that he does go to buy his burger for a pound fifty is Bayview Shack. They've put their prices up since since he did that interview. Um, so now maybe I, maybe they charge you three quid, but they charge Tyson Fury one fifty. Probably yes, indeed, yeah. yes. But uh, there we go. Yeah. Um, We also had our Rainmaker Awards last Thursday, which was fantastic. We had
1: a fire alarm. Have you ever had a fire alarm at any of your awards events that you've been involved in? Yeah, actually, and you'll like this, that I did one at Hilton, Dean's Gate, and we were doing an event, and there was one, there was another event going on, and we all had to congregate outside, and guess who was at the other event, who was congregating outside, who had one of those silver blankets on? Gary Lineker. Seriously? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've,
0: I've never had that. In all my years of doing events and all the rest of it, I've never had to evacuate in the middle of an awards ceremony. I have to say, our host was Ian Moore, comedian, author, uh, yeah. who I thoroughly recommend. If
1: you want some coach, some co- you don't read books, do you? Now, I listen to books. If you're going to have a fire alarm, though, you want it at the Rainmaker Awards because you can put out the flames, can't you? <laughs> Very good, <laughs> cool. yeah.
0: But no, Ian Moore was a great host. Um, he's also a Blackburn Rovers fan. And he's written three books, Chris. His third one is out now. It's, it's Death and Croissants. Death and Fromage. And the third one is just out, which he gave me a signed copy of, is Death at the Chateau. So they're set in France. He lives in France. He's a guest house owner in the Loire Valley.
1: And they're really good. Murder mysteries set in France. I was. Um, I looked at your Rainmaker Awards as I do. I look at all your stuff as well. I'm delighted to see that your Rainmaker of the Year was MHA More and Smallie's corporate partner Andrew Feek. He spoke at an event that I did recently, actually around table and I thought he was a really good guy. There, we were starting to make some real headway. And don't forget our Change Maker of the Year, Nikki Merritt from Cortus.
0: She yeah, got yeah. Change Maker again. Really, really impressive person.
1: Spot on. Now I'm a bit nervous for a couple of reasons because obviously I'm a big, big cricket fan. The Ashes are on. We're recording this on Monday. My mood will be dictated to by what happens in the next hour's play at uh, the test match uh, at Edgbaston now um, outside of cricket because there are more important things going on as well um, it's Glastonbury this week as well I'm delighted to uh, Jonathan Boyers formerly of uh, KPMG currently on gardening leave as well he's had a hip replacement his ambition from his second hip replacement is to be able to go to uh, Glastonbury I spent the last week going uh, to and from Manchester Airport and Liverpool Airport taking relatives who were going on short stay breaks um, I have to say I had to pay a king's ransom to drop off and pick him up I tried to uh, y- y- even if Manchester Airport. You have to pay five quid just to drop them off, even if you're only there for 60 seconds. And they have these meet and greet people who uh, walk around, and uh, it's just a uh, it's just money for old rope, proper racket, isn't it? Uh, well, I have to say, I know Manchester Airport have had a tough time during COVID and stuff like that. But I tell you what, what a way to uh, what a way to treat your customers. Did you know? And I got real shocked this week. It's it's when you sometimes hear a celebrity and you think, how old how old that celebrity is? You know, I wonder how old that person is. And I always check them out on Wikipedia. 40 years in June since the first series of Black Adder was ever screened. Unbelievable. Um, were you a fan of Blackadder? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, I mention it for a couple of reasons. One, because it makes us all feel old. I um, mean, I'm 51 now, so I was like 11 at the time when that first uh, that first series came out. There were only ever four um, series of Blackadder and they're all set in different times as well and and all the actors pretty much you know to a man or a woman have gone on to greater and, and bigger and better things as well um, or, they've, or they've died in the case of Rick Mail. absolutely yeah absolutely um, Tony Robinson um, he of Baldrick fame as well he's uh, doing a, a TV programme about uh, a never before seen episode of Blackadder it was a pilot which was never oh, seen he wasn't in it actually because he was already committed um, but so yeah Blackadder goes forth and, and on that note we go forth Michael so
0: do you, you like Tony Robinson and the actor that
1: played Baldry. I know what you're doing. He's trying to set me up here because obviously, was a huge Labour supporter. He sat, he sat in the uh, National yeah, Executive as well. He did. Um, but he was um, he was tipped to be a politician at one stage, but his partner said that we've got two young kids. Mm-hmm. You need to pit uh, the children first. And he said, right decision. Well, that's it. We'll
0: end on that note. Chris endorses another Labour politician on his journey towards being sensible and no longer being a small C conservative. So that's it. If you want to join FA Real Estate Management and sponsor the podcast, get in touch with us. We're on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Don't forget to press the subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter at northern underscore spin one or watch us on YouTube. Thank you to Watt Media. Thank you to Elliot Taylor for providing the music. My name, as ever, is Michael Taylor.
1: And my name, as ever, is Chris Maguire.